Siri, if you have an iPhone, Siri is when you ask your iPhone questions, she's the one who uh, provides the answers for you. And so as we were planning this, it struck me that I, I, I know that she's been asked a lot of silly questions. I've actually asked my phone and made statements to my phone about uh, things as well. And so uh, we looked some of them up online. Here's some of the things that she's been asked. Uh, someone said, hey, Siri, I love you. And she said, I bet you say that to all your Apple products. <laughs> Is that great? Your phone talking to you? Uh, hey, Siri, why am I ugly? I don't know. Frankly, I've wondered that myself. I mean, there's, there's no, self, no self-worth after you've talked to your phone. What's up? Hey there, Siri. Sarah, you're boring, Siri. I'm juggling flaming swords right now. You just can't see it. She's kind of smart mouth, didn't she? Hey, Siri, why are fire trucks red? Because they have eight wheels and four people on them. And four plus eight is 12. And there are 12 inches in a foot and one foot in a ruler. And Queen Elizabeth was a ruler. And Queen Elizabeth was also a ship. The ship sailed the seas. And in the seas are fish. Fish have fins. The fins fought the Russians. And the Russians are red. And that's why fire trucks are red. (laughs) You can ask Siri anything you want to. Oh, my. In this series, what we're doing is we're looking at three questions that seem pretty pertinent, especially as we draw in on Easter. So last week... Uh, Adam began our series by uh, looking at the question, why Jesus? Uh, In other words, when there's so many other options out there, why would you give your life to this to, to him? Why would you follow him? Why is that important? Why not someone else or something else? And so if you missed that, I want to encourage you to go to our website and check that out. Next week, I'm going to talk about why do we share uh, our faith. Um, and, uh, you know, why do we risk, especially with Easter coming, why do we risk inviting someone to come on Easter Sunday morning? By the way, so just, this is, uh, uh, now I'm just going to do a commercial. Um, but um, out in the lobby, did you notice these? Uh, these cups uh, say, this changes everything, which is what we're talking about Easter Sunday morning. That's kind of our theme. And then it has our church name. Here's what we'd like you to do, if you would. So we ordered these. They, they're $6 a piece. And what we'd like you to do is, is purchase one of these, fill it with candy or something like that or coffee or something and use it and, and put one of these cards with it. They're also out there with it and use these to invite your friends. Now, Sandy and I haven't yet, but I know I need to get at least a half a dozen. So if you can leave at least a half a dozen out there, uh, I know I need to get some to give to the folks that I'm inviting to come. Uh, we also have these sitting out there and these are coffee sleeves. These are of course free. And, uh, but the idea is if you're, if you go and get your coworker a cup of coffee, you would slip this on there. Or if you go to, if you're stopping at Starbucks and you say, Hey, does anybody need anything? And you're taking someone coffee, slip their sleeve off, slip this sleeve on. That's because we're that slick. Um, and, and invite them to come with you on Easter Sunday morning. So I hope that you'll do that it's just straight out uh, in the lobby. So, but why, do we, why would we do that? You know, when, even when you do this, you risk being turned down. And quite frankly, that's embarrassing. If you've never been turned down, I mean, it's just embarrassing. We risk our friends looking at us uh, weird, you know, uh, because they don't care if you go to church on Easter, but don't be going all door to door on them, you know, and inviting them to come. Um, And we've talked about the fact that Easter is one of the two easiest times of the year to invite others to come to worship with you, right? Christmas and Easter, people just seem to be more open to the story of Jesus than any other time of the year. But that's not why we 
ask. That's not why we take the risk. So, but next Sunday, we'll talk about that. Why, would we, why do we share our faith? Why do we invite people? But this week, what we're going to talk about is why do we worship? I mean, seriously, is it that big of a deal? And when, do I have to sing when I'm here? Why would we? Can I raise my hands? You know, are we allowed to do that here? Some people seem to. Other people don't. Is that okay? Or are those people in trouble? What's going on? Do I, do I, actually, do I even need to be here at all? And if I do need to be here, I mean, what's the minimum number? How often do I, how often do I have to be here? Uh, how often is enough? And I don't know if it would surprise you to find this out or not. Jesus Jesus talks about these things uh, in a conversation he has with someone. So um, he, if you have your Bible with you, we're in John chapter 4 this morning to look at this. And if you're using the Bible that looks like this, it's page 741. If you have your smart device, you can go to the Bible app. And I don't know if you know this or not, but even at the Bible app, if you go to events, we're one of the events, you can just tap in. And all of the notes for this morning, including the verses we're going to look at, will be there for you. So, but let's check this out. They'll also be on the screen here. John chapter 4, beginning in verse 19. Let's pick up the conversation. Sir, the woman said, she's talking to Jesus, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus said to her, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the father uh, and it won't be on this mountain and it won't be in Jerusalem because you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation has come from the Jews. But there is a time that's coming. Actually, it's here. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For this is what God is looking for. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. So you probably have figured out we've picked this up mid-conversation. This isn't the beginning of their conversation. We're, at the, we're, we're in the middle of it, and Jesus and his followers are traveling. They're going to Galilee. And to get there, they have to go through, or they do go through Samaria. And on this trip, they come to this well. It was dug by Jacob. And if you don't know the Bible at all, Jacob is all the way back at the very beginning of the Bible. We're already in the New Testament. He's all the way in the very first book of the Old Testament. He's one of the uh, patriarchs of the Jewish faith. So he digs this well. It's called Jacob's Well. It's a historical landmark because it's just been there for centuries. It comes all the way from the Old Testament. So they stop at this well that is this historical landmark still operating. His disciples go on into town to get food, and Jesus just kind of hangs out at this well. And while he's there, uh, a woman comes out to draw water. And so Jesus engages her in this conversation. So if your Bible is open or if you've got your smart device on John, chap, in John look at verse 7. He begins by asking her for a drink because he knows that this is going to start a conversation, mostly because Jews and uh, Samaritans didn't get along very well. And by didn't get along very well, what I mean is they hated each other's guts. They didn't talk to I mean, if they passed on the street, they didn't say anything. They just looked really mean at each other. They hated each other. But Jesus opening up this conversation gives an opportunity for them to talk about something that has the ability to change her life. And in verses 10 to 15, Jesus, so if your Bible is open or if you're looking at your device, look at verses 10 to 15, because Jesus engages this woman. He starts, they're at a well, and so he starts talking about living water and how if you have this living water that he has to offer, that you'll never be thirsty again. Well, well this lady wants 
this living water. She's intrigued by this idea. I can drink this and never be thirsty again. Where do I get that? And so Jesus says to her uh, in verse 16, he says, well, I'll tell you what, you go call your husband and then come back. And she said, I'm not married. And Jesus said, you're right. As a matter of fact, you've been divorced five times. And the guy that you're living with now, he's not even your husband. (laughs) And he wouldn't let her off the hook, just like when we get caught doing something that we're not supposed to be doing. And Jesus doesn't let us off the hook, right? And then she got nervous, just like we get when we get caught doing something we're not supposed to be doing. We're hoping Jesus doesn't notice, but then he does. So she gets nervous and she tries to change the subject on Jesus to kind of get his mind off of her, which, you know, sometimes we try to do that too. And it's in this conversation that we find the answers to at least a few questions about worship. In verse 19, she says, you know, we Samaritans worship on this mountain. Now she's talking about Mount Gerizim. Mount Gerizim is a place where a lot of events happened in the Old Testament. All the way back at the beginning, all the way back to Genesis, Abraham, the patriarch Abraham takes his son Isaac. Remember, there's a story about him taking him up the mountain to sacrifice his son because that's what he thinks God wants. And then God intervenes and saves Isaac's life. And, and, uh, And so that all happened on that mountain. So it's a really holy site for uh, Jewish people. The patriarchs are linked to Mount Gerizim. Um, The Jews, of course, argued that the only temple would be in Jerusalem because King David dreamed the image of this temple and then his son, King Solomon, actually built it. And so that's where we have to worship. And Jews and Samaritans had argued about this, sometimes violently, for centuries, literally hundreds of years. They've been arguing about this. And although Jesus wouldn't be sidetracked, I want you to note in verse 20, neither is he going to allow bad theology. So he he starts to correct that. And in verse 21, he begins to set her straight by saying this, listen, there is a time that is coming when when you worship God, it's not going to be about this mountain. Excuse me. It's not going to be about this mountain. And it's not going to be about the temple. In other words, location is not what this is about. That's not what makes worship legitimate. Verse 23, but there is this time coming, and I'm telling you it's right now. You've been waiting for it. It's here. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, because this is what God's, here's what God is looking for. So he's already answered the question. Somewhere in here, we see what God is looking for when it comes to worship and what it's supposed to look like for us. So look at verse 23 there. And then in your notes, if you would write this down, I worship because I want, I want to see God or I want to see him. Okay. This part of the reason we worship, what God is talking about is seeing him. Jesus said, true worshipers will worship the father in spirit. Verse 24 says this, God is spirit. So his worshipers are going to worship him in that way. Look at what Paul says in first Corinthians. He's talking to the early church. He said, the spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God for who among people knows the thoughts of a person or a man who among us knows our thoughts except our spirit within us. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. So true worship happens when what is deep inside of you and me, because it's in there, what's inside of us comes looking for God when we really want to see him, when our spirit reaches out for his spirit, which by the way, begs a question, what are you doing here today? 
Why are you in church? I mean, have you ever wondered why? Because you know there are a lot of reasons people come to church. For some of us, it may be out of habit. It's what you had just always done your whole life. In my whole life, you can probably count the number of times on a Sunday morning or a weekend that I've not been in worship. I bet you could count them on one hand and have some fingers left over. It was just the way I was raised. And so for some, it's just out of habit. You feel guilty if you don't go. You may not get anything out of it, but you got to go. Uh, and so you're here because it's habit. Some people are here because your friends come on Sunday morning. And if you don't come on Sunday morning, you're probably not going to get to see them. So you come you get some coffee and, and you get to visit with your friends. Some people are here because you signed up to help out, whether it's in a classroom or out in the lobby or, you know, something like that. And so people are expecting you to be here. So you have, so you're here today, or maybe you came under duress. Somebody in your family, you know, they, you, you know, if you want peace in the home, you're in church on Sunday and maybe they've just manipulated you. So you've come, or maybe you came to be entertained because you heard that Jen is just an incredible, uh, worship leader. And so you came to hear, you know, really good music an outstanding speaker. And, uh, <laughs> or maybe you came because you're hurting and you are looking for, you are, you're hoping that somewhere along the line here, you might be able to get some healing. Some of us have come this morning because we have already decided who God is in our lives. And so this is where we will be because we've put God first in our lives. Others of us may be here this morning because we really don't even know if God exists or not, and we're just kind of kicking the tires to see if he's real. And if he is, what am I going to do with him? What decision will I make about who God is going uh, to be to me? By the way, both of those are good reasons to be here because both of, us, both of those have brought us to look for God. And when we come to worship, listen, it's more than the right location. It's not about singing the right songs. It's not about the right rituals. It's about experiencing the presence of God. That's why back in Exodus chapter 34, we read, he is the God who is passionate about his relationship with you. And I don't know what your image of God is, but is it that he's, I mean, he's just crazy about you. He's nuts about you. And what he wants is for you to know him. And what he wants is for, for you know, uh, he wants to, to know you as well. That it's this two-way relationship thing because he's just crazy about you. Hosea, the Old Testament prophet says, I don't want your sacrifices. This is God speaking. I want your love. I don't want your offerings. I want you to know me. And it's all over the Bible. I believe that God's words to his people when they were in captivity, this is in the Old Testament, uh, the book of Jeremiah, when he says this to them, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with what? All your heart. I mean, when you come looking for me in the book of Hebrews, all the way at the end of the New Testament, we read without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who what? Earnestly. I'm not half-heartedly, you know, back into it. I mean, you came charging down. You want to see God. The French have a, a, a saying, a proverb, and it should be on your notes. A good meal ought to begin with hunger. So here's the question. Were you hungry for God when you came in this morning? Did you, is one of the reasons that you're here is that you've, you've actually come looking for him because true worship happens when what is inside of me desperately wants to see and experience God, when what's deep inside of us comes looking for him. 
know, the old English word for worship means to attribute worth, which most of us understand when we come into a worship setting, we're coming to attribute worth to God, and that's good. The Hebrew word for worship means to bow down, which, you know, for many of us, mentally we understand, and it's kind of what we're doing. We don't do it necessarily physically, but mentally and emotionally, we are bowing down before God. Interestingly, the Greek word for worship means to kiss toward. It's used of a dog licking his master's hand. Think about what that means in our image of of who God is. Because when we see God for who he is, David tells us back in the Psalms what happens in our worship. When we see God, listen, we ascribe to him the glory. When we see him, we understand the glory due his name. And when we, we actually come looking for him and begin to see him, we will worship him in the splendor of his holiness. There's this, there's this sense of wonder and awe that will fall over us because listen, we worship God when in direct proportion, the extent to which we worship him is equal to how we recognize who he is. And as we grow in our faith, Our worship of him changes the more we see of him. You know, I've been asked, are we allowed to raise our hands in worship? There are two universally recognized reasons for raising your hand. Uh, And by universally, I mean around the world. This is, people recognize this. If you see people with their hands up like this, right? What does this mean? I I surrender, right? Basically, it's, okay, yep, I'm done. Um, okay. Or if you see a small child standing in front of an adult like this, what does that mean? Pick me up. All right. Listen, uh, last night, my 16 month old granddaughter stood in front of me and did this. (laughs) Do you know what that did to me? Oh my gosh. I, it just melted me on the spot. Do you know what I did? And I picked her up. I hugged her tight as a genuine gesture on your part in worship, is there anything wrong with telling God, I surrender, you're it. I got nothing. I, I need you. Anything wrong with that? Anything wrong with saying, wow, I really need you right now. I wish you could pick me up and hold me like a child. Listen, again, as a genuine part of worship, I think that's great if, if, that is, if that's what that is for you. All right, let's take a look at something else Jesus said. He also said, uh, I want, I want uh, worship. I worship because I want God to see me. So it's not just about me coming to see God. Worship, when we come together, ought also to be about wanting to make sure that God sees who I am. So it's verse 23 when he says, true worshipers will worship the Father in truth. So when we come to worship the Father in spirit, that's us coming to look for him. When we worship God in truth, that's us coming to try to show God all of who we really are. You know, research psychologists have determined that there are at least three situations when we pretend to be someone else. The first is when you go into the lobby of a fancy hotel. You ever been in the lobby of a fancy hotel? And you know you don't belong there, right? But you act like you do. So you pretend to be someone else. Sandy and I have been through entire hotels pretending to be someone else. I probably shouldn't have told you that. Um, uh, The second is when women uh, go into a car uh, showroom or onto a car lot. 
You pretend to be someone else because you don't want to be taken advantage of, right? So you pretend to be someone else. Do you know where the third place is that we pretend to be something we're not? You're there. We come in here and we pretend to be someone else because there are some things, embarrassing things, that we really don't want anyone else, not even God, to know about us. On your notes, Harry Hem said this. I love this. Be who you is, because if you ain't who you is, then you is who you ain't. Uh, and I don't know if you ever do that or not. Right? You ever pretend to be somebody that you're not? Even here in worship, do you pretend? Jesus is quoting the Old Testament prophet Isaiah when he said, These people honor me with their lips, but I see their hearts, and they're so far from me. What is God getting from your lips? When you sang this morning earlier, what is it he's getting from you? And is it really reflecting who you are in your heart? I don't care what's in there. Whatever is in there, are you presenting that to God? Because some of you have had well-meaning but misinformed Christians say to you something like, you know, when you come in here that you have to forget everything but Jesus, all the bad things from the week. You leave them outside, all the problems in life, leave them outside. Every bad thing ever happened to you, leave those outside. It's as if the bad things, the tough things, the things that weigh heavy on your heart or the things that just make your heart heavy don't belong in here. And that couldn't be any further from the truth. The reality is we come here to show God who we are because of what has happened. And maybe it's not what someone has done to you. Maybe it's something that you've done. Have you done something in this past week that you really wish God wouldn't find out about? Or maybe it was this weekend. Maybe it was this morning before you came or on your way here. And you're really hoping that God won't, you're, you're in here because you're thinking he won't notice if you're sitting in here. He's just looking at all the heathens outside the building. He's not looking at the heathens inside the building, right? Or maybe your marriage is in trouble and you come in here and you pretend that it's okay. Or there's something you're afraid to show God or ashamed to show God. Or you think that God is so big, he can't be troubled with little old you and this little old thing that's going on in your life. You are the woman at the well. And Jesus has just told you everything about you, and it's who you are, and it's what you've done, and it's what you've said, and you come in here, and you put your church face on, and you go through the ritual, and I don't have to tell you that when you walk out, you know you have not worshiped. All you did was go to church, because God didn't get a chance to see you. And the problem isn't that God is not in our midst, it's that you were hiding from him in here. But for those of us who will really show ourselves to God, really show ourselves, when you leave, you're, you're a little tired. I mean, you know you've really worshipped. All right, here's the last one. It's on your notes. And it's not really in what Jesus said. It's because of what he said. I worship because I want Jesus to change me. I want something to be different about me because we've been together. I want something, I want to become more like him. I mean, that's what happened to this woman. Verse 29 uh, says that she went back to town and said, dude, you've got to check this guy out. He told me everything I ever did. Do you think, do you think it could be him, right? And, and, uh, uh, And the people went to see Jesus. And in verse 39, it says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. And then verse 41 says that, as a matter of fact, because of what Jesus said, many more became believers. Two things that I want to make sure that you notice. Even our times of worship like this are about the mission 
right, of helping people begin their relationship with Jesus because many more became believers. Worship will accomplish that. When people come into contact with believers who are worshiping God, it draws them in. And that's important. Here's the second. While we're trying to understand God, we come in here and we go, what is he really like? And we're trying to understand him. Do you know what he wants to understand about you? He's looking to see if knowing his son has made any difference whatsoever in your life. If being together, if knowing Jesus has caused you to change. George Barna, who is a researcher, said, we've bought into the notion of spirituality, but the question is, is your life lived any differently because of your relationship with Jesus? Hebrews 13 says this, God takes particular pleasure in acts of worship. It's a different kind of sacrifice. It takes place in the kitchen and in the workplace and in the streets. We worship when how we live has been altered by our relationship with Jesus in our homes. And it's the kind of parents that we are. When it changes how we are at work or at school with people that we're, when we're with them for six to eight hours a day, has it changed how we respond to them? When we use our abilities to help someone in need, that's when worship occurs. Richard Foster said this in his book, Celebration of Discipline. If worship does not propel us into greater obedience, it has not been worship. Listen, every good Jew in Jesus' day knew that he should not go to the temple and appear before God empty-handed. No gift. And I just want to say neither should we. But the gift that God is looking for, just to be very clear, is you. All of you. Not part of you. Not a piece of you. Not the Sunday morning, you know, you. He's looking for you. All of who you are. Good, bad, ugly, embarrassing. All of that. All of who you are. It's what God is looking for. Here's why we start our week this way. The question we need to ask is, how long would it take for you to forget? I don't know if you've ever heard anyone say this. I was sick one week, and then I had to work the next week, and we'd already planned and scheduled to go out of town to visit relatives the next week. And quite frankly, I kind of got out of the habit of going. It was just easier not to go after that. You ever been there? I mean, I've talked to people where after they stop coming for three or four weeks, it's harder to come back than it is to have. So let me ask you this. How many Sundays would you need to miss? How many weekends would you need to miss before that was you? Because we know it happens at home. You get busy, you have to work late. The kids have a ball game or they have activities, they have jobs, they have friends. Now they're driving cars and pretty soon we all live under the same roof, but our home has become a house that we all just happen to live in, right? We've all seen this happen in families. And I'm willing to bet that in your family, if this is, you, know, you have probably said at one time or another, this is going to stop. We're going to put the brakes on now and we will eat dinner together and we're going to do something as a family this way. And we're going on, vac- we're going on vacation together. The whole family is going on this vacation. We will do something because we're afraid of what will happen if we don't. Because we know, we've seen it happen in families around ours. We've sensed it beginning to happen in ours from time to time. That if our family doesn't come together, it is going to fall apart. And we know that. That's why our coming together is so important. It's a reminder of our commitment to God that we belong to him. Check out, God says this in Exodus 31. 
you have to observe my Sabbaths. That's our time of worship. You have to observe these. That will be the sign. That's the sign between me and you for the generations to come so that you may know I'm the one who makes you holy. You're not good on your own. I'm the one who makes you good. I'm the one who makes you holy. Our coming together is a commitment, shows our commitment to God. Our setting aside this time each week is not only a a reminder of our commitment to God, it's a powerful reminder to me. It's a powerful reminder for you of who I've committed myself to. So we're not just reminding God, we're reminding ourselves. I've committed myself to him, not because I have to, but because I want to, and that my being here is a result of who I've been this past week, and I've brought all of my junk with me. All, the good stuff, the ugly stuff, the things I wish I hadn't said, the things I'm glad I said, I brought all of that with me this morning to show it to God in worship, because worship is about who I've been. But even more, worship gives direction to who I'm becoming this week. It reminds me of who I'm supposed to be becoming like. And every time we come together as a body, we remind each other that we are not just committed as individuals. We are committed together. We don't stand alone. We stand together to God. So this week, I thought it would be good for us to do something different. We've never done anything like this, to my knowledge. Each week, we take communion to remember Jesus' death and resurrection, the price that he paid for our sins, not his sins, our sins, and that I recommit myself every week during communion. Our communion time is basically a time for us to say, listen, I'm all in. I, I, I told you at my baptism, what we just saw a little bit ago with Riley, I told you through my baptism, I want to belong to you. I'm telling you again this morning, I am all in for the, for the next seven days. And so... We recommit ourselves to him and and that we together recommit ourselves. Not just me, it's us recommitting ourselves. So today, what that would be cool is let's take communion together. You maybe have done that in other places. I don't think you've ever done it here. So in just a moment, I'm going to pray and the men are going to come forward and distribute the emblems. And as they come by, if you would just take the bread and the cup and just hold on to those for just a moment uh, until everyone has theirs and then we'll take it together. All right? Why don't we go to God in prayer? God, thank you for this time of worship. When we get to gather before you and in part, it's very much an individual thing because God, only the person sitting in our chair knows us and we bring who we are to you so, God, our, our prayer is that who we are, that we're not going to try to hide, we're not going to pretend, we're not going to try to fake you out. That this morning, during this time of communion, that we would just share with you who we are and admit some hurts, admit some hates, admit some problems maybe that's going on. God, if those things are happening in our life right now, that we would just be able to say that to you quietly to admit that, to be authentic and genuine and real in front of you. And God, we pray also that as we do that, we would be reminded that because of the cross and the empty tomb, that your son gives us the power to overcome all of those things. They've not overpowered us. We get to overpower them because of the power of Jesus raising from the dead, because communion reminds us of that as well. 
Thank you for taking our sins away from us. Your son did not have to die. He chose to. For us. So God, may we be grateful for that today as well. God, our prayers at this time together, around this time of communion, that the bread that reminds us of his body and the juice that reminds us of his blood, that we will draw close to you. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus.